and welcome to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. With me today, as is tradition, Ty Lee, and we are here to break down Army-Navy. It's a time-honored tradi- tradition of ours. Ty's, Ty started this one way back when it was just writing articles for uh, the old Schooner Pod, or sorry, blog, back in the day, pre-pod. But now we do a whole full-on preview because, honestly, this game, this tradition, is absolutely worth it. But... You know, Ty, as you know, I don't really follow uh, the service academies really all that all, all that well. But you, on the other hand, pretty 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 close with uh, you know Army, Air Force, and particularly uh, Navy, your guys. So, Ty, let's just start it out. Um, start it out here. What is what's kind of the state of both of these teams right now? Before we dive into some of the history. What what's going on with Army and Navy? Yeah, so I'm glad that we can do this. Uh, the state of the teams currently, I mean, it's it's sort of situation normal for service academies. You have to remember that the service academies, uh, more so, I'd argue, even than the Ivy League schools, are the only schools out there that are not really they they do have some leeway and some sort of flexibility to get athletes in, but more so than any other school, you're really getting true student athletes. Uh, the, the people that play on these teams are students first at universities that very much have academics on par, or in some cases, uh, many would argue exceeding some of the Ivy league schools, Navy specifically, everyone is going through a, a bachelor of science program and taking advanced math and advanced science, regardless of their major. So you got a true student athlete situation here, and then it's always going to be a bit harder to get athletes. So they continue to compete against the big name schools. So what I'm saying here is they're never going to be sort of nationally relevant or competitive. They just can't stand up to the current system. And honestly, it's surprising that they're able to compete as well as they can against major full-on you know, sports teams just thinly veiled as schools. Navy, for example, played UCF, Notre Dame, and Cincinnati all very recently. So these teams, the records may not be that great, but they're certainly the best out of, of what they're dealing. I mean, arguably, with student body size, they're, they're tiny universities. Arguably, they are much more comparable to the Ivy League schools athletically, and any one of the service academies would blow any of the Ivy League schools out of the water when it comes to football. So I would argue that the state is pretty good at every service academy right now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, yeah, no, it, it looks like a relative down year I, in terms of the outside perspective. I feel like every once in a while you have a year where Navy's pretty good, where Army will be pretty good, and it'll kind of seesaw back and forth. This year, both teams about four and seven, but we'll, we'll dive into the game a little bit more because look, with Army-Navy, it's it's more than just a, just a football game. Um, as you mentioned, both of these service academies, you know, they, they, their, their normal week does not look like the normal week of a single student athlete out there. Um, they also have to do, you know, service academy type of stuff. It is a hard grind, but it is, uh, it, it's, it's an important one. So let's, let's kind of dive into the game, the history and, um, yeah, ed- educate the people a little bit, Ty. Why is this game so important? Yeah, so let's talk about the history real quick. So the very first game was played on November 29th, 1890. Navy, of course, blew them out of the water 24 to nothing. 
Uh, and from there, it has been played pretty regularly. This will be the 123rd meeting of the teams coming up this weekend in Philadelphia. So a lot of meetings between these teams and not necessarily a lot of bad blood, but it is it is certainly, it has been from the start, one of the biggest rivalries in college football. It was much more significant to the national picture. Back in the day, there are a lot of one-two matchups in this game, even as recent as, as the 60s. So it has obviously for the way college football has changed, the way that universities in America have changed in terms of the sizes of student bodies and things, the service academies have not been able to keep up. But this was a very, very, very significant game, uh, nationally speaking, for the big college football picture for a long time. The overall series, Navy, of course, leads it. Who else would be leading it? Uh, 62, 53, and 7. So some ties in there. And then the largest margin of victory is, of course, who else would it be? Navy, 51 to nothing. Maybe we'll beat that this weekend. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, Navy is historically, you know, I I think more recently uh, has more success. You know, obviously they're in a conference that that helps. Um, But no, I whatever I think of this game is like, especially recently, it's it's been all Navy. Yeah, so Army has had some some great success in the very recent history. I would say in in you and I's lifetime, Bobby, both being mid twenties, uh, Navy has been by far the more successful team. I mean, from two thousand two to twenty fifteen, it was just all Navy. That's the longest win streak in the series is, is fourteen, like I just mentioned, and then Army was was able to snap that. But all the games since have been fairly competitive, and the Navy obviously winning it and and sort of holding the streak right now. So it has its ups and its downs. Army was very, very dominant for a long time uh, as well in this series, but it's, it's truly one of those rivalry games where you throw out the record books. It's at a neutral site uh, almost every time. Sometimes, you know, events have, have changed that it's been played in the Rose bowl in Pasadena. It's been played at soldier field in Chicago. It was not the first game played there, but it was the first game played there. Uh, when it was renamed as Soldier Field. Uh, I, I guess cool. it was called something else for a couple years, and then they renamed it in the 20s. Um, but I have some quick facts, Bobby, that I, I want to drop on you here and, and the listeners. And these are some very, very interesting, uh, three big interesting facts, I think, that I learned about the game that are still significant to college football. So the first one is the, I would say maybe the the least significant one to some people, but this is this is a big deal. It's not a, as big of a deal as it is now, but this game has been nationally televised every year since 1945. That is, if anyone is you know someone's been watching college football for a long time, that is extreme. College football was very much a regional sport uh, up until, gosh, probably even into the 90s. I, I don't know if you probably know more about that than I do, Bobby, but it was very rare for one specific game, not a bowl game, you know, but two specific teams in their game to be nationally televised. Uh, that was, that was really, really rare. So that's a really, really big thing. Um, just to lead us off right then. Absolutely. And I mean, um, up until I believe the late eighties, early nineties, um, you could, you only basically had two or three games televised every week. It's not like, uh, you have today where you have a billion games on, you know, you have ESPN plus. So army and Navy having this is 
I mean, just truly special. It's uh, it's almost more than a football game. It's it's a national event in my mind. Yeah, for sure. Here's another one. Uh, 1893. We're going way back. Navy football, the very first American football team. I guess they don't wear helmets and other football, but the very first American football team to introduce the helmet. Uh, Navy having their own doctors and having a vested interest in their students' health because it is a university to produce uh, Navy and Marine Corps officers, naval officers. Uh, they started to notice some head issues, some brain issues with their football players going back to the 1890s. And the Navy doctors at the Naval Academy said, hey, this is not, this is not good. We have some guys specifically on this team that are could die if they have another concussion. And this is this is where they were, I guess, with CTE knowledge even back in the 1890s, and they went out and commissioned from a local shoe shop in Annapolis, Maryland, where Navy is located, some helmets, and so Navy pioneered the invention of American football helmets. That's pretty crazy, and you know, kind of kind of wild to think. Back then, you know, already kind of have an idea of what, you know, all those collisions could really do. Uh, but, you know, and I've always kind of wondered what, what football would look like if you took out took out the helmet. Like, would people still be just like running their heads in like that? I don't know. That probably not pertinent to Army Navy, but. Well, you know Navy. what? You've, you've given me kind of a good segue. And I do want to point out that was in the Army Navy game. So they didn't wear them previous to the season. And then they had a few people wear them in the Army Navy game. But you wait, 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 wait. So did just one side wear helmets and the other side didn't? Not everyone did. So it was much originally it was much like the face masks. So oh my gosh. the like I said, it was it was driven by the the doctors and they yeah. basically had a, a handful of players that were constantly coming in with brain injuries. Yeah. And, well, concussions and stuff. And they said, Hey, these guys, you need to figure out something. So okay, it was it just was, for the concussed people. It was just a few. Yeah. Okay. At, at first, and then they began to integrate. So I don't know when Navy sort of started requiring helmets. But uh, they implemented helmets before anyone else as an optional thing. I guess kind of like face masks were integrated into into football or seatbelts, things like that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, obviously, you don't Big wear seatbelts in football. But you gave <laughs> me a good segue there talking about people leading with their heads or hitting people in the heads. That is now known as targeting. And what happens when you have a targeting? It immediately goes to a mandatory review. 1963, the very first American football game, college or NFL, to ever use instant replay was 1963 Army-Navy. So they pioneered that technology as well. And I, it, I couldn't find it anywhere explicitly written out, but I think it was specifically because we talked about, again, 1945, this started being nationally televised every year. I believe with the infancy of the NFL and everything else, this was, again, this was America's big football game every year, even back in 1963. And I believe that's why this got instant replay before anyone else. Wow. And that's crazy. Cause it, uh, you know, I believe the first time instant replay, like when I first started watching football, wasn't a thing. Like, uh, I, I believe it was canonized into like rules and stuff. And if I'm, if, if I recall correctly, like 2004, cause I remember playing yeah. it, you know, the old NCAA football games, not being able to challenge calls. Yeah, so I'm not sure how it worked rules-wise then or or what the path to adoption was, but I do know that Army-Navy was the very first game to ever, I guess it would be tried out, I suppose, 
would be the the proper thing. And that was is very significant. I mean, think about the TV technology back in in 1963 and what it would have taken and, and sort of how complex that would have been. You know, and how a, quick it, you'd have to have like quick recall and everything. Yeah. That, yeah that I mean, just thing. ask, yeah, just ask TCU. I mean, instant replay is still not <laughs> ironed out <laughs> to this, this day. So that is, uh, that's a pretty significant one. So those were our three big fun facts. Uh, and the, the next, the last history thing you need to know is it is important for these schools to what they call sing second. So at the end of the game, both sides, both student bodies and teams sing each other's alma mater with the other team, and the winning team gets to go second or gets to go last. So sing second is a, a big saying, big buzzword between these teams. Also, we will be seeing six national championships on the field, one with Navy, and then uh, Army has five. So again, this used to be a pretty nationally relevant game, uh, not so much anymore in terms of painting the college football picture in the postseason, but uh, it is it's still a, an exciting game for me. I mean, it's the only college football game we have this week. So, Does he do uh, the army national championships? Are we counting the one that OSU stole? Or are we? Uh, yes, did, we are counting. We are one. counting the one that <laughs> Oklahoma state thinks that they uh, won, which is not to go on off on a tangent, but that is, I understand the whole, the way the national championship everything was set up back then, but the 1945 national championship specifically with world war two going on at, I don't think at the time that the the games were played uh, because it, it would have ended in, in a sort of summertime, but uh, the recruitment of all the players obviously occurred during world war two and army just had one of the most dominant college football teams of all time. Uh, <laughs> and it is, it's kind of funny for Oklahoma state to claim that, that 1945 one, but yeah, that, that is counting. One of army's five is the one that Oklahoma state also thinks they won. I'm just saying, yeah, that, that is honestly one of the sickest thing I've, things I've seen in a while. Cause as you said, they're one of the best of all time and, uh, kind of got robbed there, but it's one of those, like, it's so, I, I don't know Oklahoma state's history super well in terms of times that they were nationally really good super far in the past but you got to do like the sec schools do and just dig back into your past to some time that no one else can point to like a conclusive one you know it's like oklahoma state basically went to paris pulled the mona lisa off a wall and then took it back to stillwater and said hey check out what i just painted like everyone knew it wasn't them (laughs) like you gotta be better at uh, at faking your claimed national championship, I think USC does a pretty good job of it. Looking back, uh, Notre Dame certainly, you know, they just Alabama. I think in the yeah in the 1920s, uh, I think there are probably about 30 national championships that people claim from that decade alone, and that's just like credible claims between like Notre Dame, Bama, USC, and basically every region, every conference champ just claimed that they were the national champ which is kind of the way college football is going back to. So we'll see. It all goes full circle, Ty. It all goes full circle for sure. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. The easy payouts, the same game parlays, player props. You know how much I love my player props. All of them just so great. Easiest sportsbook to use by far. And it's getting even better. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. 
So check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sports app, place a same game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more you legs you add, the bigger the boost and the bigger your shot to win big. Look, with rivalry week going on in college football, big Thanksgiving Day games, it is just the perfect time to dive into your favorite sporting event. I've been loving it. Hell, put a little bit on the World Cup. It's great. This is the best time to be betting. I am loving it. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Now, back to the Schooner Pod. What I do want to talk about and, and what this game is always a big matchup of is uniforms. Obviously, the military services have their respective uniforms. They Army and, and the Navy wear very different uniforms, uh, both on the field and, and then at work. So the... The uniform matchup is is hotly contested each year. A lot of people have a lot of big opinions on it. I think Navy is the uniform underdog because they're dealing with Under Armour. Uh, Army has a little bit of an advantage being a, a Nike school, not to do free ads, but I, I think Nike tends to do a bit better job uh, with designs. I would agree with that. I've always been a Nike guy myself, and the recent move to Under Armour, you know, it's a bit unfortunate because I feel like Navy had had a couple pretty good Nike um, um, uniforms, but you know, obviously with Under Armour out in Maryland, I guess it makes sense. But this year, I don't know. Um, I think Navy's put together a pretty good collection. Uh, I, it's uh, space based, I believe. If, uh, do we want to talk about it? Is the good or Let's the bad? Talk about, we'll talk about armies first. So I'll, I think I think Navy won the uniform matchup this year. I'm very partial to Navy uniforms in just throughout the series as a whole. Uh, there were some years where people really loved Army, had those those black ones and things like that. But Army rolling out uniforms this year in honor. I guess, Bobby, you're playing the clip. Thank you. Uh, in honor of, of the Army's first armored division, specifically their actions uh, 80 years ago in what was called Operation Torch in North Africa. So we to kick off in 1942 to, to really start – uh, American ground actions in what was the European theater of operations in World War II, which included North Africa. Uh, the U.S. sent in a force along with some other allied nations, and it kicked in the door in North Africa. And uh, the the force that led the way was our first armored division, really the first time that America used massed armored forces. If you go back to World War One, we weren't actually very big adopters of tanks, believe it or not. So a lot of the stuff that they were doing was unproven. You see the uniform right there with the speckles on it. It's sort of meant to show those olive green tanks with the, the sand thrown up on them as the first armored division rolled through the Vichy French forces. And then the, uh, the Nazi German forces and Italian forces that were in North Africa. So I think it's a pretty good, it's a, it's a really good uniform. It looks very much like a, an Oregon uniform to me, but Again, everything that's on these uniforms is is significant and ties into history from the yellow lines, the yellow star 
and markings that were applied uh, to, to denote American vehicles and sort of blend in a little bit better than the traditional white markings that you would think of on a, a World War II vehicle in the, in the sand and the desert and everything else. So old iron sides on the front. And then, yeah, so that's, that's Army's uniforms for this year. You see the unit patches and everything else. I think that they are very cool. I, I think that they're maybe one of Army's weaker uniforms uh, in, in recent times just because they've had some really, really strong ones recently. Yeah, I, I think to me the – I mean, great concept. Old Ironsides, awesome, awesome unit, obviously legendary, cool name. But your point about them looking like an Oregon uniform is, is spot on. They, uh, they just don't look like Army in a way. Um, but I, I love the concept. I think it's cool. I think they did a really good job with that kind of fade, you know, with the mud and the sand and all that. But no, I, I I'm with you. I, I think, uh, I think the other side might've won this one, but it was a good effort by, uh, army and, uh, Nike, I would say. Yeah. They, I, I, you, you'd be hard pressed to find a bad uniform. I, last thing I do want to say on the army one, I think that they did a really good job in understanding marketing and merchandise sales, because if you look at just the Jersey alone, where the, the sort of speckling, the tan, the sand starts and the rest of the uniform, if you're buying just the Jersey, I think it's a really, really solid, uh, standalone Jersey. I almost think the pants maybe are where they could have done a little bit better and, and made it a little more army. But yeah, I think we should talk about the this year's, I think, clear winners uh, with Navy. So I think I'll just, as, yes. as the video plays here, this is best. If you're listening on podcast, go check out the video because it's best with video format. But Navy honoring the, the longstanding partnership between NASA and Navy on the helmets, hand-painted helmets. Army loves those, or Navy loves those airbrushed hand-painted helmets. Uh, on one side, the NASA logo, and on the other side is a, a depiction of astronaut Bruce McCandless II, who was a Navy grad, a naval aviator, a, a Navy pilot like Top Gun, uh, who did the first untethered spacewalk. So the first guy to go out there and not have a, a rope or a line connecting him to the spaceship, just his little propulsion pack. And the first person basically to float freely on their own in space uh, was a, a a Naval Academy graduate and a Naval aviator. So I, I've seen some people sort of wonder why. Why is Navy doing this NASA partnership uniform? Why is Navy doing a NASA uniform in the Army-Navy game, which we'll get into? And then I've seen some other people from other schools Let's say specifically UCF is the big one. They've sort of claimed being Space University. And then I, I have also seen some people from Purdue that have also, Purdue has kind of been claiming space. So I, I, as we dive into these uniforms, I want to get into why specifically the Naval Academy has a claim to space. So first off, more graduates from the Naval Academy have become astronauts than any other undergrad institution by a massive margin. So currently there have been 54 U.S. Naval Academy graduate astronauts. Uh, statistically, your best chance of becoming an astronaut is to go to the Naval Academy, become a Naval aviator in either the, the Navy or the Marine Corps, uh, both are Naval aviators, go to Naval Test Pilot School, and then become selected 
as an astronaut. That is statistically leaps and bounds beyond any other way to get into the NASA astronaut program. U.S. Naval Academy and Naval Aviators also lead in private astronauts. So things like SpaceX and some of the other private space corporations. As of right now, that's mostly because most private astronauts are coming from NASA. So you're having that traditional, you know, government, let the government spend all the expensive money on training them. And then they come to SpaceX or Blue Origin or wherever else and just learn the specific platform uh, that they are doing there. The first American in space, Alan Shepard, was a Navy grad and naval aviator. The first satellite in space for the United States was a U.S. Navy satellite. There are still many satellites up in space that are that were launched by the Navy and are operated by the Navy, even with the creation of Space Force. Uh, the other services still have space missions. The Navy has some ocean-specific satellites for a lot of different things. Um, the moon is really where I want to accentuate and really hammer home why Navy more than any other institution owns space. So before we get into this, Purdue has produced six, or I'm sorry, Purdue has produced nine graduates who have gone on to become astronauts. UCF has not produced any graduates who have gone on to be astronauts. UCF's entire claim to being space U is that their campus is like an hour or so, depending on traffic, from one of NASA's launch sites. UCF has arguably the worst claim to space of any major college. Texas has produced six astronauts, one of which has been on the moon. OU has produced four astronauts, one of which has been on the moon. You don't see OU in Texas claiming that we're space U, even though we produced infinitely more because zero times infinity you can multiply anything by zero. It's still zero, the number of UCF grads <laughs> who become math. astronauts. Yeah. So I, I do not understand UCF's. They they have some weird tie to the fact that UCF, I guess, originated as like a community college to train or that trained people who went on to do like random work with NASA. But we're talking about back like pre-computers where anything you had to do, you had to have drafters drawing things or just checking calculations. They have right. no claim to actual space. So going back to they the movie, did They did have a mascot named Citronaut, but he was a fake astronaut who looked like uh, Marvin the Martian. So, so I mean, he, that's fitting. His body, right? his, also, yeah. his body was an orange, though. Yeah, he's a fake astronaut. Which is again that UCF's entire claim is fake. But back to the <laughs> okay, exactly. There have been and oh, the moon landing wasn't real. The moon landings were real. There have been twenty-four people to have landed on the moon. Of those twenty-four, twelve walked on the moon. Of the twelve that walked on the moon, three were United States Naval Academy graduates. Six were naval aviators, because again, the Naval Academy represents the entire naval service, not just those that graduate from there. So you have nine of 12 are Navy associated. Two of the astronauts who walked on the moon were United States Military Academy at West Point graduates, Army graduates. Of the other 12 that did not get out of the landers because of the ways that the missions were conducted, a further three were Navy graduates. Another three were Army graduates. 
three were naval aviators that did not go to Navy. And one was a Marine who went to the University of Oklahoma, actually, uh, and, and did not go to Navy. So out of all of the people who have been to the moon, six were Navy graduates. Ten others were of the Naval Service, were Naval aviators. Uh, five were West Point graduates. There have not been any Air Force Academy graduates to walk on the moon because Air Force was so new back then, they just didn't have people that had time to go through. So the Air Force people that walked on the moon all went to either Navy or Army. So of the people that have been to the moon, you have six from Navy, five from Army. So this is really, when you look at space, it makes perfect sense that Navy would be wearing NASA uniforms in the Army-Navy game, especially when both of these universities have such prestigious claims to space and in the past and ongoing. So I, I, I understand there's been a lot of controversy around it, but there is a whole, whole lot. And there's a whole bunch of other points that we can get into um, that, that really tie into this. I, we, I don't want to go on forever. Oh, important note, the first person to walk on Mars will also likely be a Navy graduate. NASA has already selected the astronauts that will make up that core group. And they have been saying, uh, some people might, might find this controversial, they've been saying that they want to aim for the first person to walk on Mars uh, to be a woman. And out of the currently selected NASA astronaut group that will be eligible for the, the Mars mission, those that would be the ones taking the first steps are generally the, the ones that are coming from the aviator side, not necessarily the scientist side. And the three women that sort of fit that bill Two went to the Naval Academy, and then another one is a, a naval aviator, a, a Marine officer. So most likely, you will also have a Navy claim to the first person on Mars uh, as well. So the NASA uniforms very much make sense, uh, and we can continue to argue that with anyone that, that sees fit. Well, I will say this. If anybody has a better argument than the one you just laid out there, I'd like to see it because I don't think it exists. I you do have... I think that's that that is as comprehensive of an argument for Navy having like space uniforms as I think anyone will get around college football. And I love that. Yeah. Some people some people have argued recently the Space Force, uh, but Space Force has only had I, I think two astronauts now, both of which just sort of transferred over from the Air Force. Space Force, obviously, like the Marine Corps, does not have its own academy and pulls from the Air Force Academy. Actually, it pulls from all of the, the service academies, uh, but predominantly the Air Force Academy. But Space Force's mission is not necessarily the astronaut. Still, to become an astronaut, you, you have to either be more or less a scientist or a military pilot. Space Force does not have pilots, uh, and, and their mission is is more focused on on computer driven things, driving satellites and and taking data from them. So Space Force, obviously, and, and the Air Force have a big claim to space. The Air Force obviously produces a lot of pilots and a lot of astronauts as well. But Navy just had a, a tremendous head start that is going to be hard to break. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So overall, in these uniforms, I just kind of want to give my take. I'm not yeah. a fan of the hand painted. Um, I don't know why. It just, I just I don't think it looks as clean as uh, some other stuff. Some other stuff, but I think it's pretty. I think it is pretty good, all things considered. It's my favorite, probably my favorite space uniform. Um, 
And like you said, I, I think they absolutely lay claim to it. And uh, it's pretty nice. I like it. Yeah, the hand-painted has been a big gripe of mine with Navy's uniforms as well. When I, it, They did a Blue Angels-themed uniform one year that had hand-painted formation of Blue Angels through the clouds. A lot of people loved it. I thought it looked terrible. And then I think one of Navy's worst uniforms in recent memory, they did hand-painted different ship types for different position groups. And I thought it just looked terrible. Some people loved it, but I, the hand-painted helmets specifically have been sort of a, a common thing with Navy for a while. I think this is the best hand-painted helmet they've had, uh, but it is, I'm, not, I'm not a tremendous fan of the hand-painted thing. I feel like the the hand painted is like this close to looking like uh, you know the you know the, the kind of spray on t shirts that you get at the state fair. You know what I mean? Yeah, the airbrush. Like the art is just like it's that close to being air like an airbrush t shirt. But uh, I know that's an unpopular opinion. Whitman in the comments all is uh, all salty about it. He said he wanted one of those helmets, but I don't yeah. know. I think it's cool. So. I, I definitely think there were cooler things maybe that they could have done. If I were in charge of it, I would have done, you know, how Notre Dame mixes up a little bit of their chapel gold in the paints that goes on their helmets. I personally would have had some moon dust or some moon rocks ground up and, and mixed into the paint or on the helmets or something like that somewhere. I think that would have been cool, but yeah, it, I think this is one of their, one of their better ones. And and uh, certainly some some cool uniforms out there to to look out for. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I the uniform matchup is always the best. Um, and that one year where it was snowing, and I can't remember which side wore all white, but like blended in. Oh, it was great. I think Not, it was Army. Army was actually yeah. wearing uniforms honoring their uh, historic Tenth Mountain Division, which is. Not a mountain so unit anymore, but uh, it was formed in Colorado uh, during World War II and then fought in the mountains. And yeah, it was a perfect, perfect matchup. It's it's like the only way that could have been like done. That, that looked like something that you would do in like NCAA 14 where you can perfectly set the weather. You know, the fact that it actually just happened to be snowy like that. So cool. So cool. But For sure. um, yeah, awesome. So we've broken down the uniforms in depth. Love that. Let's let's talk about one of my favorite aspects of this rivalry, and that's the hijinks, the pranks. Ty, do you have any good uh, stories you've learned about uh, Army Navy? You know, pranks throughout the years between the two student bodies. So this game is infamous for its pranks. You have to remember these are military schools, and the students are—they're not free like regular college students are, but they do have some unique things that they have access to maybe that regular college students uh, do not specifically uh, in years past, there have been organized kidnappings. Uh, allegedly, maybe there have may have been some light friendly torture. Uh, there have been animal kidnappings. Uh, that's a big one. Army is very much obsessed with kidnapping Navy's goats and then abandoning them tied to guardrails on highways I'm not really sure. It was just something that happened at one point, and then it just sort of has become a, a tradition. Uh, there are constantly break-ins, students sort of escaping in the dead of the night and traveling down to Annapolis, Maryland from West Point, New York, or traveling up from Annapolis to West Point. Uh, allegedly, in the past, there have been incidents of break-ins to 
buildings on campus to hang banners and things like that. Uh, allegedly, there have been break-ins to buildings that have been facilitated by people parachuting in in the dead of night uh, and placing banners <laughs> or, or kidnapping things. And this year, we saw our first, at least in recent memory, uh, airstrike prank. Navy oh has a, a small flight program, and they flew some airplanes up to West Point earlier in the week and just sort of hovered around, uh, just sort of out of sight on campus, but keeping an eye on campus, allegedly guided by a Navy student on the ground. They do have an exchange program for semesters and, and stuff between the universities. And allegedly the way it went down was a, a Navy student on the ground was able to communicate with the aircraft and let them know when a big sort of formation was occurring. A lot of people standing around outside listening to some speech or something like that. And when the Army people formed up, the Navy people on the ground gave the location. Uh, I guess they dropped a pin or something. And here came the Naval Academy planes. Uh, it looked like maybe a three-plane ship. Two went in low, and then they had one high uh, for safety. Obviously, they did this in of a course. safe manner, looking out for other aircraft and uh, guiding in what we would call a forward forward air controller, airborne, uh, guiding in the, the airstrike. And then... Uh, making sure that they had photo evidence of doing it. And the of Navy, course. the two Navy planes came in and they dumped out uh, ping pong balls and leaflets that said beat army down on the, the army formation. <laughs> and allegedly people were, were running for cover uh, from the <laughs> ping pong balls and the leaflets. So there are some pictures online. We should have pulled one up, but I, I don't know the rights for it, Ooh. but uh, there are some pictures online. If you go look up uh, Navy prank airstrike army or something like that, uh, very recently, you'll see some shots of one of the planes coming in with its payload being dropped out. But yeah, the, the pranks in this game are are legendary and ongoing because you still have that traditional student-athlete, student-buy-in experience. I know you hear about OU Texas pranks and things like that, and it seems like they were all just stuff decades and decades ago in the past, and, and it seems like a lot of that stuff doesn't occur anymore. It still very much occurs with these very small, very radicalized student bodies. Uh, yeah, so there's the ping pong balls. There, there should be a photo of the actual little Piper airplane uh, dropping them. If it's not in there, um, the dig yeah, around. I, but that's the uh, that's the picture of the the drop, I guess. Ping pong balls and the leaflets. Yeah, that is that's the ordinance that they that they dropped. But um, that's incredible. Yeah, so there, a lot of a lot of hijinks and and ongoing. I expect next year, uh, Army will certainly try to to up the the ante with that it was a big big prank victory this year by navy uh, both sides did pranks i saw some banners that were hung up on the naval academy campus from army students sneaking in uh somehow and things like that but navy won sort of the pr battle this year and doing the big prank that made it on on the news and is getting reported and the one that we're discussing right now so that is that's really how the prank battle is determined each year so navy with a, a big prank win this year hopefully it carries out onto the field well, I, I mean, in last year, you know, Army screwed it up by taking the wrong goat. So, you know, it's it just two losses in a row for, for Army. They, they've they been getting their ass kicked in the uh, prank war. Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff that has gone wrong with, with pranks as well, <laughs> going back. I mean, there's a sort of a legendary story from, I think, the 90s uh, involving uh, some Army guys trying to steal the goat and then... Uh, that's 
Yeah, so you can see them flying over. There's a maybe if you scroll down, there's another one, uh, sort of like the same angle where you can actually see. Is it that? Yeah, you see, yeah, see right there. It's kind of low res (laughs) on this photo, but you can see just uh, behind the tail there some little white uh, glints from the the band or from the little leaflets and the ping pong balls coming down. But yeah, so photo taken from the ground (laughs) as as the airstrike carried out. I'll say this, a bunch of ping pong balls and stuff falling on you would be a little horrifying. That's that's a pretty high distance, but not like a dangerous way. Just like, a, oh, it wow. was at a it was at, a, I think, about a thousand fifty feet. So you can you can go back and sort of look at the at the uh, what's called ADSB records and, and look at the altitude that they were at. I think it was at, at right about a thousand and fifty feet that they dropped him at, which is right at sort of the, the legal minimum altitude for flying over people and buildings. <laughs> Uh, so yeah incredible incredible i i gotta say that that's gonna be a hard one to top and uh you know given navies i i don't really know if army really has access to stuff like that you know to be able to just buzz them like that they would yeah yeah i mean everyone has they all have access everyone has to planes. Small, good point i mean uh, yeah ou has a small air force of i think around 30 uh planes and we we talked about this with the schools with flight programs i think we did a bit a couple years ago on the weekend spread about how I think it was UND would win a game because they have one of the largest flight programs in the nation. So they have a, on paper UND has like an air force of 300 airplanes or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, but, but getting back to the game, we've talked about all the different, a lot of the other stuff, but there are some people who watch this one uh, for the game. And I wanted to, to touch on some, some players to watch. First thing you got to know is Navy is going to control the ground game here. So no surprise from me. Uh, I am a, for those that aren't aware, I am a Marine. Uh, so I, no surprise to me that the Naval force is going to be able to dominate the ground fight against the army. It's their game, but they're not very good at it when they're facing us. Uh, Navy, obviously, like I said earlier in the podcast, faced both Notre Dame, Cincinnati, and UCF. UCF, who they beat uh, very recently in in uh, the season, late in the season, so recently to now. They held all three of those teams, the three most significant teams on their schedule, to under 100 rush yards. I think that's going to be sort of the key factors. Navy can defend the run. Both teams are going to be very run-heavy. Uh, expect maybe more passes than you would expect traditionally from a surface academy teams. The teams have have gotten better in recent memory in sort of integrating these big shots. Army, I believe, actually leads the nation in yards per reception. I'm not sure if that's the correct stat, but um, yeah, I think it's yards per reception. Army leads the nation or yards per completion. They lead the nation because. Uh, they only pretty much take those big shots. It's just run, 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 run. Try it. to take a big shot. It either goes incomplete or it's like a twenty-yard completion. Um, that's the most. So, that's the most Switzerish way to to like play a football game. I love it. Very much so. Very much so. Navy again, also very run heavy, but again, their ability to stop the run. So look out for it. Navy's leading defenders, linebacker John Marshall, uh, guy. He's got almost fifty tackles, almost fifty solo tackles this year. Uh, and then safety Ray Ron Lane the third also he he'll be ending the year with well over 50 solo tackles so Navy really able to shut down the run game of their opponent 
and we know that that's what Army is really going to present. Air Force was able to run fairly successfully on Navy as well. Air Force, a better team uh, than Army is this year. Uh, we know that because they, they played each other and Air Force won. But, uh, yeah, Navy's ability to, to shut down or slow down the run, I think, is going to be the deciding factor. And the Navy's going to be punching back by running. Uh, they run through their fullback, which is just so old school style. I love uh, Well, most of their, most of their carries are through their quarterback, Xavier Arlene, who is a two sport athlete, both lacrosse and quarterback stepping in uh, the starting quarterback had a, a bad season ending injury earlier in the year, but Xavier has been performing well, led them to their win over UCF and then fullback, uh, Daba Fofana, that's actually how it's pronounced. I had to look it up. Uh, the leading non-quarterback rusher, just rushing through the fullback. I just love that. I love, you know, every time OU gets a fullback carry, which is rare, I get so excited. And I just love watching just fullback runs. Fullback run, fullback run is a an amazing, amazing thing to watch. Over on the Army side, uh, again, run heavy through their quarterback. Tyre Tyler at quarterback. We we've seen him in previous Army Navies, and uh, he's you know he's a really really solid leading that that stat for yards per completion. And then uh, at running back, they run through their running back, so a little more modern and boring. Uh, running back Tyson Riley. All right, awesome. Yeah this this has been an interesting season for both of these teams in some ways because. There have been moments of glory and moments of disappointment on both ends. Um, but to me, the thing I'm looking at is I think this game is going to be um, an incredibly like, you know, a classic battle of, you know, attrition as really all the service Academy games have been this year. Uh, Air Force and uh, Army was 13 to uh, 7. And then, uh, look, at least they, Navy and Air Force upped it a little bit by going 13 to 10. Um, so it's been a bit of a slog in both ways, which, you know, it is is to be expected when, you know, you're talking about Navy and one of their best players being a fullback, which I absolutely adore. Uh, more love. For, the, the fullback is a dying breed. Like, Oh, I, like, I don't know, like um, probably capybaras and people named Nigel, you know, they're, they're just not around anymore. So, you know, I, I, anytime the fullback gets love, I'm here for it. Yeah, it's Navy, I will say, has been fun to watch. You talked about Army schedule a little bit. Navy opened up. Uh, so they are four and seven right now, if you're unaware. So that's not great. But they opened up with just a terrible upset loss to Delaware and then they lost to Memphis. But then from there, they've, they've sort of turned it around. They beat East Carolina, uh, like you said, lost by three to Air Force, which the Service Academy versus Service Academy games are always going to be like the fastest college football games because it's all just runs. Like the clock is just <laughs> running the whole time. You could potentially have like an hour and a half long football game, basically. Um, and then Navy uh, it beat Tulsa. They were able to actually put up a lot of points for a service academy in 34 against SMU. They lost that one. Uh, Tanner Mordecai just shooting all over the field on them. They lost mm -hmm. to Houston, but then they they turned it around and they beat Temple. They lost to Cincy by 10, but then they lost to Notre Dame by three, 35 to 32. That one, that one hurt because that one, you know, upset alert, anything could happen the whole time. And then, of course, that tremendous upset against UCF. So 
they, I will say they, they've been sort of a little bit better uh, than maybe their record would indicate. I, kn- I know everyone hates when people give that argument like, oh, they're, they're actually better than the record would indicate, but they upset one of the best teams on their schedule and they really, really performed well against the second best team on their schedule. So much like me with the weekend spread records. I'm always like, oh, no, I'm, I was I was really close, you know. But, no, you're right. It, especially the past couple of weeks, they've been playing really tight games, obviously, almost, you know, kind of giving Cincinnati a, a scare. And then, like you just said, with that Notre Dame game, you know, um, that was certainly an upset. And, look, I will say, like, last year going into this, um, Army 8-4, Navy, a bit of an underdog, pulled off the upset. So, um, what do you say? Do you want? Do we want to kind of get into uh, some predictions here, Ty? Yeah, yeah. So our our wonderful sponsors at DraftKings have this one currently, Navy by two and a half. I think that's a pretty good, pretty realistic line. I mean, Navy, the way the bookmakers are are looking at it, I'm sure Navy won by upset last year. Navy sort of has a a traditional recent history of of being really good against this team. This is one of those games because of the play style of both teams and because it's a neutral site, big time rivalry, you can really throw out the the records in a sense. Army was certainly on paper the better team last year, but Navy was able to pull it out. Uh, their records, like we talked about, not good for either team, four and, uh, was it four and seven, and then uh, three or f- five and six, I guess, for Army. So, um, yeah, I, I think Navy is the favorite. I think if this wasn't a big neutral site rivalry, uh, you would see a, a line that's maybe a little higher in Navy's favor. I like Navy minus two and a half, but I'm I'm biased. But I do think that that is a fair, probably realistic line with teams that are going to be just running it up up the other team's face the entire time. Yeah, I I'm also going to go with uh, Navy as well. Army does. Look, their schedule a little bit trickier than most in terms of um, like they've they had some really solid group of five teams on it. They uh, had to had to play Wake Forest. They had to play Co- like they're not group of five, but um, I just I feel like they had to, had a bit of a weak run and to only be five and six against the likes of what Troy, UL Monroe, uh, Colgate. I mean, come on. I, 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 for, I, I think that Navy's going to get it, go in, get the win. Army's best win this season is actually currently UConn. Uh, so that's not exactly um, encouraging if you're trying to black, er, back the Black Knights. Uh, I'm going to go with the Army, Ar- or the, uh, sorry, geez, the Navy midshipmen here. I think they uh, make it back to back. So uh, yeah, give me Navy. Yeah. The over-under on this one is interesting at 32. Uh, I think I really think the under might be the move or something to oh, to wait. take a look at. Do you know what the record's been? Like with over-unders in this in this matchup? Uh, no, I don't. Off the the under has hit 14 straight times. It is a historic oh, really? streak. It has gone under 14 straight times. Yeah, I, I think I wouldn't. I wouldn't go against the streak. I don't want to jinx anything, but uh, thirty-two, just especially because I'm looking at when I look at that over/under, and I think this is probably what the bookmakers kind of did as well. I think they are looking at the main because they have a really, really good common opponent in Air Force. Air Force being the better team, but Air Force being a a very similar team again with a service academy run heavy uh, style. And you look at 
at uh, Army Air Force 13 to 7 and then Navy Air Force 13 to 10. I think they looked at at those games and said, "Okay, yeah, I'm expecting, you know, I if if this for this game to get really out of hand, you would have like 21 to 10 would be like, oh my goodness, this one got out of hand. It is turn the clock back old school football. Like if you if you want to know what watching football was like, you know, decades ago, even you know, I I'm trying to think of maybe 60s, 50s or 60s. You want to know what it was like to Definitely. watch a football game in the 50s or 60s? More or less, this is the closest thing you're going to get. Uh, because even if you go watch other similar sort of teams, that the play style is a little bit more modern. Like Ivy Leagues don't don't have this sort of unique service academy play style. So I think that's another selling point uh, to watch this game. Is is uh, you know this is what OU versus Notre Dame in the 50s would have looked like, or something like that, more or less. You know, fullback runs and and the forward pass is such a novel. It's almost a trick play. It's so novel. I mean, some offenses will run trick plays more often per game than than the service academies will run pass plays sometimes or even pass attempts so it is it's exciting to watch if you're a fan of the sport i will say that no absolutely and that's been one of the reasons why i've always liked it because i've always had an appreciation for option football for the triple option just growing up as an oklahoma fan hearing about the bud wilkinson days uh you know the barry switzer days you know like it was it was, it was a different time and it it feels to me even though OU has kind of been the advent of, you know, uh, this new wave of the air raid that the options in our blood. And every time I see it, it always brings me a little joy. And it's really cool to see uh, the option live and well in Army, Navy and uh, Service Academy football. I will say, hate watching OU trying to defend it. Uh, that <laughs> Army game was brutal. Uh, and then Air Force came to town one time and that was brutal. Um so yeah, it, the the worst the worst offense to watch your team attempt to mm-hmm. stop the best to watch if you have no vested interest though. Well, I will say that that army team uh that faced OU I'm I'm trying to pull it up. Um they were special. Remember, they were that was special. one of that was one of the best army teams in a a long long time. I mean, that was they were um it was get it pulled up. It was like oh, no. it was like one of those things where it was embarrassing at the moment, and then they really went on a on a just an incredible tear. And it's like, oh, okay, this is looking less bad <laughs> as it goes on. But I, I know what you're talking about. Oh, was it 2018? Was that the right 2018, year? 2018. 2018. Yeah. So they were what like 10 and two that year. They were 11 and two. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they. Let me pull up their schedule. I know we're basically done. So they they open up with a an upset loss at Duke that was just embarrassing. But is had they won that overtime game against OU, um, it was just uh, their schedule obviously wasn't super crazy, I guess. But I, I guess the tough the the next toughest team to OU was maybe San Jose State. I'm not sure how all these teams were this year or in that year, I guess Houston maybe wasn't that bad, but yeah, that was a, one of the best army teams since the sixties. So uh, yeah, that is not the army that's here now. If they went and beat OU or beat Duke, that's a potential like new year six army team, which would be kind of hilarious. Uh, I know uh, Navy kind of pressed that a couple years ago. Um, I'm blanking on the quarterback Navy had that almost like almost made the Heisman ceremony, stuff like that. Or maybe he actually did. 
No, you know we what? didn't make it to the ceremony. It's, I can't believe I got close. Blanking on the names. <laughs> this is terrible. Um, Great podcasting work on my end. I apologize. Was it Keenan? I'm gonna feel. I'm gonna feel so terrible. Keenan Reynolds. Was it Keenan Reynolds? Was uh, it's been a couple fifth, of years. Fifth in the Heisman voting in 2015. Yeah, it was Keenan Reynolds. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. No, I I would love to see Army or Navy kind of kind of get the committee sweating a bit because this is played after the Bulls are are selected, so they would have to be like, "Well, crap, what are we gonna do now?" Um. So, anyways, well, Ty, love doing this every year. Uh, Army Navy is a game that that is certainly um. It's a little special to me, just as it is for like most Americans. I know it's very special uh, to you, and I'm I'm glad to um, partake in this yearly annual uh, celebration of Service Academy football because it is in this time of just weird, turbulent, you know, change of college football with NIL, with the transfer portal, with all this. Army Navy is always Army Navy, um, and you know, I, I think that's something that is. It really anchors us uh, across the board, just in this sport, in this country, and it's it's something that is uh, just truly special and truly unique, um, not just in college football but in sport as a whole. So, I know I I know I'm going to be tuning in on Saturday. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and yeah, and I, I, as you said at one point in time uh, in our podcasting journey, the U.S. Uh, military technically the first nil. Uh, uh, collective yeah not not nil they're they're salaried so yeah i was kidding you yeah not i (laughs) i actually don't think they can do nil if i remember uh correctly because they are technically in a a government position but they they do make a salary and have for for a long time so they're first to to legally pay players uh they definitely pioneered that exactly yeah but uh my closing thought again Navy, the U.S. Naval Academy, more than any other university, owns space. There have been 24 people to land on the moon, 16 of which were of the Naval Service. It is not even remotely close, even counting Air Force, even counting Space Force. Get out of here, UCF. Purdue, (laughs) we will entertain Purdue as the leading non-military university as they are. But yeah, UCF should not be claiming space. They should not be upset. And uh, they should, yeah, Navy owns space, period, hands down. Wait. wait, It is telling telling that Navy came out with an officially partnered uniform with NASA. It wasn't like, oh, this is a moon-themed uniform. This is a space-themed. It was like, hey, NASA, we work together all the time. Can we do some uniforms? NASA agrees Navy owns space. Uh, when it comes to universities it is the closest thing to nasa university that there is i think i just had a major breakthrough on our theory about purdue vanderbilt wake forest being the same place right purdue also claims to space and the moon what if the combined purdue vanderbilt wake forest team unit college is just on the moon it's just a moon colony that we don't know about They've been televising the moon games. I don't know. Not to get too deep into the conspiracy theory, but I, I do know that steam engine trains are key to them. So I, I don't think that would work on the moon. That's true. Not sure if steam works on the moon, but all right, Ty, that's all we have for the army Navy preview. 
always love doing this as mentioned. Um, and make sure to stay tuned for, because uh, next week we start our bowl previews. Very much looking forward to that. So cool for me and Ty. This has been the schooner pod army Navy preview. Ty close this out. You know what to say. Go Navy sink army. Absolutely. Have a good one, everyone.